Welcome to The Gaggle, an AZ Central podcast where we chat with reporters and experts to keep you fully informed on the state's political news. I'm your host, Yvonne Winget Sanchez. I cover national politics for the Arizona Republic and AZ Central. Today, we're talking model legislation. If you haven't heard of it before, get ready. A new investigation by USA Today, the Arizona Republic, and the Center for Public Integrity has blown the lid off model legislation. For the first time, we know the sheer extent to which special interest groups and corporate interest groups have spread their ideas through state houses across the country. In this episode, we're talking with two of the reporters behind the investigation. So we're joined by Michael Squires. You will remember him as your former host of the Gaggle podcast. He is the investigative editor at the Arizona Republican AZ Central. And Rob O'Dell, you've heard him talk before about school vouchers. He is the data reporter here at the Arizona Republic. Thanks, guys, for being here. Thanks, Ron. Thank you. Little sarcasm there. (laughs) So, guys, over the past two years, you've been working on a giant project. Michael, give us a brief overview. Well, what we set out to do is we've known that legislation gets copied from special interest groups. So we're talking about uh, industry groups, maybe it's uh, trial lawyers or something that want some law enacted. We know that that happens, but we've never really known how frequently it happens or where it's happening and really who's driving it. So this project set out to kind of look at the scale of that kind of influence that was going on. So for those who are less familiar with the term model legislation, can you give us a sense of what that is? Yeah, it's basically copycat bills, uh, bills that are drafted by someone else that are then given to a lawmaker. The lawmaker then introduces it as his or her own bill and doesn't disclose who gave it to them. And really, in some places, it is supplanting the traditional way where staffers would write all the legislation themselves. Because a lot of people would just assume, oh, I elected this official. This official goes down to the state house. They think of ideas after listening to their constituents and stakeholders in an issue. And then they work with policy staffers and typical staffers, legislative staffers down at the state house to come up with an idea and language that would alter legislation. But that isn't really what happens. Right. The project's really about how that process that you just described, that everybody assumes is the process, is disrupted by special interest groups. Who who does it? Both sides clearly do it, but um, one side, conservatives, are a little bit more effective in getting it done and getting it passed. Um, you see this on the liberal side, but what they're doing in a lot of cases is they're they're handing out the bills. What the conservatives, conservatives are doing is they're turning this model legislation into a lobby. Not only are they giving people bills, but they're providing the social network, the access to donors, the ideas behind all of this. And that's why they have been more successful than liberals. And there's also industry groups, which corporations who are trying to push their own, push legislation that's in their own interests. One of the reasons you, you see that conservatives are more successful doing this is Republicans control 30 state houses. So if you're a special interest wanting to get work done, you're working with Republicans. And the industry groups like physical therapy associations, behavioral health folks, dentists, trade groups that represent workforces. I mean, these, these guys do it too, right? Yeah. Watercraft Association, ATV Association. Big Pharma. Everyone. So, 
We're going to dive deeper into some of your findings later in the episode, but can you give us the main high-level takeaways for your project? You guys spent two years on this. So I guess uh, the, the main takeaway is just looking at this as influence, not as, you know, words on a page, but words on a page that are carrying out someone's agenda for them sort of in the guise of everyday legislation. And what we found was 10,000 bills across the United States in all 50 legislatures that were copied from model legislation, substantially copied, meaning big portions of the text were lifted from model legislation. And we found that one in five of those uh, model bills became law. So we sort of look at it as the largest unreported special interest-driven influence campaign in the country. So what do we mean by that? If you donate to a candidate or a campaign or a, a political action committee, that gets reported. People, the public can go look at that. If you are going to go lobby your lawmaker, you go register. And so there's some paper trail on that. But if you're slipping a, a bill under the door or handing it to them at an ALEC conference and that gets introduced, there, there's really no, in almost every state, no paper trail on that happening. So this is really unreported influence. So we've known that this practice of introducing mod model legislation um, has happened, right? But never to this extent. Right. I mean, we, you, of course, we've been aware of model legislation for years and years. But it's only been reported on sort of an isolated situation. Oh, look, here's, you know, this bill pushing certain groups agenda. You know, when Stand Your Ground came to the fore after Trayvon Martin shooting, I mean, that certainly focused attention on it. But we wanted to look at the scope of it. So there's been really no sense of, you know, the scale and scope of what, what's been going on. How did you get come up with the idea, let alone the tools, to actually pull off a project of this magnitude? Well, I mean, I guess the, the idea originated in part. I, we had, as a team, when I was the, the politics editor, had been looking at ways that people brought influence to bear on the state legislature. And one of those was dark money. We saw an explosion in that in 2014 campaigns here. And so I was kind of tuned into that when I became aware of some people doing uh, some research that, that sort of surfaced some of these model bills. And I just thought, well, they, they were showing them in certain state houses. I'm like, well, why don't we just do this nationally and really get kind of pull back the curtain on like everything that's going on. So that was the kind of the uh, genesis of the idea. So how long did this project take? And can you, can you take us into like the nuts and bolts of how, I mean, it sounded like an easy, pretty simple idea, right? Yeah. Well, well I mean, yeah, it sounded like a, a, you know, step-by-step idea, right? You, you get the bills, you go and search out the models, you identify who's behind them and, and how they got there. You know, that sounds like a step-by-step -step process. And I was a little naive on how long that would take. I mean, to, to do sort of just the data crunching here, I mean, we'd have like 150 computers running day and night for months on end uh, just to go out and find these things because we were, you know, identifying the copied language. How many bills are we talking? Basically about a million bills uh, between... 2010 and 2018. One of the things that we were able to do was to we, we needed to figure out a way to compare. First, we keyworded some of the bills, and we keyworded the bills. We keyworded the uh, the models to sort of cut down on the on the amount of bills we had to look at, and then we looked at the strings of text 
how long the strings of text were, how many there were. And that could be like specific phrases that might be actionable, right, within the legislation. So like restricting abortion or public funds for empowerment scholarship account programs. Or I mean, you're looking for very specific strings, right? Yeah, the the keywords helped us get to the specific parts to match abortion bills to abortion models. Um, And then we looked at the composition of them looking at the strings of, of text. And so, and then once we figured out that they were similar enough, we wrote an algorithm that scored them based on uh, the longest strings of text and how many how many different sets of text there were and how long and how long they were. And interesting enough, um, like we're not talking about just copying five words; we're talking about huge chunks of text. The longest one we found was twelve hundred words in a row copied together. Wow! So, can you give us some specific surprising findings that you discovered in this investigation? Squires? Well, I would I would say I mean like the biggest surprise for me was just the scale of it. But then you know as you as you dig down into some of these bills, you start to see like how the groups behind them are operating. I mean, one that's familiar here, it, probably in Arizona well, and everywhere now, is is right to try. Uh, so the Goldwater Institute, which is a local conservative think tank, hatched that idea after talking to cancer treatment centers of America, and you know it's built as a way to get very sick people medication that's maybe in the testing phase but has yet to earn FDA approval. Um, But it turns out the FDA has allowed this since the early 1970s and so it's a little interesting that there a lot of people say there was really no need for this specific bill so then why are they doing it? People who are terminally ill should not have to go from country to country to seek a cure. you know, if it, it turns out that there are a lot of politicians that like to push these bills because it's a success story. And we saw, you know, President Trump touted this uh, two State of the Unions in a row. I want to give them a chance right here at home. It's time for Congress to give these wonderful, incredible Americans the right to try. This bill was so successful in state houses that it went and went on to become a bill, and Congress actually passed it as well. So that was kind of one example of, of why these things get pushed, not just about the policy, but sometimes about giving politicians a story to tell, a success but, story. And then how does that benefit the Goldwater Institute or the, 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 the institute or the place that the bill originated from? Well, I mean, much like the politicians, they get the credit for having that success. I mean, that can accrue maybe in donations and recognition of their work. I mean, they have other policies that they're trying to get out there, people are then looking to them as sort of a successful think tank. And another issue we found was uh, we found these bills on asbestos. They were labeled as asbestos transparency bills, right? Um, but it, it didn't tell you, you know, where you could have been exposed to asbestos. It didn't tell you, uh, you know, where you could get help. It actually threw up roadblocks in, for people who are sick to be able to sue companies that could potentially they could get money from them. And it was written, there were a couple different organizations that pushed it, but one of them was ALEC, the American Legislative Exchange Council, which is uh, a conservative group that uh, has corporate interests as as well. And one of the things we found was in a lot of these states, one of the people that uh, was brought to the the different states as a a subject matter expert was a co-chair of the committee at ALEC that had written the bill. And they were brought in several states in as a subject matter expert and wasn't disclosed that they were actually the ones behind the bill. And that one 
benefited industry, essentially, right? Yeah. Oh, yes. It, it helped the corporations and insurance companies that have asbestos liability. Because what you had to do is, it, it's, it's very complicated, but you had to ex- essentially deal with asbestos trust before you could sue the actual companies. And in a, in a lot of cases, the people who are dying from mesothelioma, which you get from asbestos, they don't have very long to live. So, of course, critics say, well, you're throwing roadblocks in the way of a sick person. And what this does really is help corporations. There's another one called occupational licensing. We hear a lot about that from Governor Doug Ducey and Republican lawmakers here in Arizona who preach the kind of free market, get government out of the way mantra. What's that one about? Uh, well, they're actually a bunch. I mean, the Institute for Justice, uh, American Legislative Exchange Council, Goldwater, a lot of these sort of, I mean, definitely conservative, but some of the more libertarian-leaning groups think that imposing uh, conditions on people working, what we call occupational licenses, so if you're a respiratory therapist, if you're a nurse, your doctor, all these people have licenses, they think that that's an impediment to people working. And, and so ideologically, they're opposed to it, and they pass these things. I mean, the interesting thing there, though, is um, kind of exposing the game that is model legislation is, like, who's clamoring for this? Are there people saying, I can't get a job because of X, Y, and Z? We went looking for those people. We asked the, those groups to, to show us those people. They can't really produce them. Uh, I kind of had to smile when I saw Governor Doug Ducey sign this latest bill uh, just this week about... Uh, occupational licensing. Now Arizona is going to recognize everybody's occupational licenses. We are now the first state offering professionals like architects and dentists a license to practice in Arizona if they already have a license in another state. Governor Doug Ducey... That he cited this woman who the Goldwaters cited the last time they passed one of these bills. So they still only have one victim, but they're out uh, touting this lady as, as benefiting from this. So again, I think it's about telling a success story. I mean, obviously Governor Ducey has been crowing about this for years and years. Uh, He really, you know, I think it sends a message to his base, to his donors uh, that they wanna hear. And there's legislation that is good, right? I mean, mean, you you wouldn't be able to, a reasonable person wouldn't be able to disagree that it was good, that is passed through model bills. Yeah, I mean, some of these occupational licensing reforms, I think most people would think some of them are, are, you know, logical, common sense things. But yeah, no, a lot of good things, like I think most seatbelt laws in the country came about by model legislation, a lot of traffic, you know, just kind of public safety things, maybe immunization requirements. These, you know, the, the, the ones that work get copied. Uh, but again, we're highlighting the ones where it's something, someone's trying to push an agenda for other reasons other than the voting public wanted this done. This was really an illuminating report I know you got a lot of reaction via email and phone calls, and you guys have been on the interview circuit. Thank you for joining the podcast. How are everyday readers reacting? I mean, the reaction for me, I, I've rarely seen a reaction to a story like this, and it, it kind of it surprised me in some ways because you know when we're doing the story, we think this is a pretty dense topic. We're ne- we don't know exactly what the response is going to be. The reaction absolutely uh, tells me that readers understand this and maybe that our coverage helped readers understand this. And so this year there's been a rash of bills that have criminalized protesting. Um, we had we had some here in Arizona and you have a model bill that that criminalizes trespassing on critical, critical inf- infrastructure. And you might ask, 
What does that mean? What critical trespassing on critical infrastructure? Well, it was brought up after the the Dakota Pipeline protests, and now you can be arrested for doing similar protests in other areas if you trespass on the pipeline right of way, which is now designated as criminal infrastructure. So that's clearly working against Native Americans protesting for water rights. Um, in in that case, and in in cases where they would they would be protesting against a pipeline, and Native Americans would be doing it. But in, in Louisiana, if environmentalists were doing it, it would be the it would be the same thing. And so you you sort of see this pop up. And one of the things that these bills do is they'll introduce bias in the justice system, right? So you have uh, the next Dakota pipeline. You have Native Americans who are protesting for water rights, and now now there's a law that they can go to jail for that. And you know, this is, a, a in a lot of cases, corporations that are pushing these laws. Um, and w- now you have trespassing on critical infrastructure hurting people who are trying to make their voices heard. Or take, um, you know, pre what, preemption bills, and I can describe them so you understand what that means. But they'll sound familiar to Arizonans. This is where state lawmakers pass a law that then makes it illegal for you know, your city, your town, county government to pass a law that they would like to pass. So what is that? That's, um, you know, maybe you want to restrict Airbnb because you don't want vacationers coming in and out of your neighborhoods all day, you know, every week. Or you want to ban plastic bags at the grocery store. Or you want to raise the minimum wage. Well, the state says, no, you can't do that. And, uh, you know, in Arizona, that's risen to the point where, you know, a state lawmaker can ask the attorney general to go and investigate this. They can bring essentially criminal charges or take money away from the cities for doing this. So how, you know, corporations, obviously, if if I'm, you know, Bashes or I'm Albertsons or whatever grocery chain, I don't want to have to adjust what I do when I go into Bisbee or Flagstaff. I just want to do the same thing everywhere. That's simpler for me. But what you've done is really sort of disenfranchise the local voters through this process. And this project isn't about judging whether something is good or bad, right? It's just to expose where these ideas are coming from. Yeah, I mean, I think any time you can expose agendas, that helps the voters make better decisions, right? I mean, maybe people want plastic bags, or maybe, you know, they want a lower minimum wage. I doubt that. But, you know, maybe that's the case. But I mean, I think if they know that who's pushing the agenda, if it's, you know, big business wanting this, because they don't want to pay people a higher wage, then I think that kind of gives them more information that they can base their decision making on. So you guys have been making the rounds. Uh, your work is being talked about on radio, on Vox Weeds did an episode on the project. Where else can people um, hear more about this project? Where can they go to read it? Well, you can go to AZ Central slash investigations. That's where the project sits on our website and also usatoday.com slash investigations. Um, and we've been on uh, numerous radio stations talking about it as well. And we're here. You should listen to our Kaggle podcast and you should listen to us next week. Well, Michael and Rob, thank you so much for coming on. That's it for today, Gaggle listeners. Next week, we'll be back with an episode that focuses on why Arizona is ground zero for model legislation. If you have any questions, you can reach out to me on Twitter at Yvonne Winget. At Rob Odell AZ. You can find me at MG Squire. Today's episode was edited and produced by Taylor Seeley and Kayla White. Thanks again. We'll be back next.